I'ma say the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> nice one. So. What's new? What's news Cam, with news, Bruce? <clears throat> I have a new love. Oh, I have a new yeah. love. Your other hand? Whiskey. <laughs> no, we, we, we've had a threesome going on for years. Um, whiskey. 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 Well, whiskey. Um, when you talk whiskey. Do you mean real whiskey or that American shit? No, well, stuff um, shipped in from Scotland. Does oh. that count? Yeah, yeah. Well, is it a single malt or a blend? Um, th- I had a little bit of both. I had one of each. Um, don't remember exactly how I got home, <laughs> but I had a great time. I had a great time. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. So every Wednesday... Every, Every Wednesday. Wednesday, I will now be, <laughs> I will now be driving over there, taking my laptop, you know, <clears throat> doing some work. Driving, but driving every over, Wednesday driving evening, over I will where, be, where, what, where, how? There's a, a, a there's a new company. Well, the good news is it's only seven minutes away. So it's the distillery company. So when I'm when I get in the car after dancing in the parking lot like I did last Wednesday. And I drive home drunk. I'm only on the main road for 30 seconds. Other than that, it's back road, so I can't really kill anybody but myself and maybe a deer and a mailbox. But I think I think it's worth it. I so think I can do it, and I'm dis- looking forward to it. There's a distillery. Yes, just opened up near my house. And I keep saying, I need to go by there. Wait, I don't wait, know anything about wait, whiskey. Wait, wait, wait. If it's a distillery, <laughs> yeah. how can it be from Scotland? If it's a distillery, they're making well, they, it there. They make stuff. They make stuff. They sell stuff, but they also have stuff shipped from Scotland. The owner uh, is from Scotland, and I guess he goes around setting up these establishments, and he has stuff shipped over. Uh, and he explained all the different. So, do they have alcohol? A, is fine. Do, do they have a smoking area where you can have a stogie with your single malt? I don't know. I didn't ask inside, but they have very elaborate um, outdoor setups. Um, so I'm sure I would be able to. Now you have to remember this is Wednesday at fifteen minutes after noon, so I was the only one there. I imagine I could have drank naked with a cigar, and it probably would have been okay. But a midday a, buzz, the life of a podcaster. <laughs> Amen, brother. Let's let's go. Let's do it. To the Cold War, <clears throat> raised drunk. I'm not. Uh, it's episode one one two. One, one, two, got it. All right. One one two. Yeah. Uh, in my news of the world this week, uh, just if, in case anybody cares, I do. Um, finished my book campaign on Publishizer this Fuck week. Yeah. Um, Sold. I think we did 255 pre-orders. Thank you to everybody who pre-ordered a copy of my book, The Psychopath Economy, including you, Ray. Thank, Thank you. you for your sure. support, Papa That's what Bear. I'm here for. To the um, many thousands of our listeners who didn't <laughs> buy a copy of the Sons book. Of bitches. I don't know. What have I got to do, folks? Seriously, like... 
right. There was an electronic version, a what? paper version, a signed copy with a, other things. What? What, what do you got to do? Offered to put your name in the back right. with a certificate saying this person's probably not a psychopath. <laughs> I don't really know them, but, you know, <laughs> nothing. Anyway, I don't know, man. Like, you say you love me, yeah. but then when I throw out a book, I need your help, need your support with something. Nope, nothing. 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 Anyway, yeah. so that's, that's, what, that's what passes for love these days. Um, Passive aggressive. The film, right. the film. Yeah. I've got an edit that uh, a bet. So you've seen an edit of the film. Yes, I've got a, a better edit nice. since that one, and I'm going. Oh, I should have an even better one today. Still some some gaps, but it's looking looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you saw the film, Ray. Well, I mean, tell the folks what you what you thought. I like, honest, honestly, well, okay. First of all, we're going to skip right over. Well, don't be too honest. Okay, just a little bit. Sprinkle honest honesty in there. Um, obviously, my expectations were in the gutter. You know what the fuck? You don't know what you're doing. But I do have to say that um, thanks to all the people around you. It had the look yeah. of a professional documentary, the shooting, the scene, the, the, the audio, the talking heads you had on there that I got to meet some of them. No, but seriously, um, you start off with your premise, you quickly go into it, and you very succinctly, step by step, break it down, get to Paul, and that was a fascinating story for me. Then you cover some of the, the other books. Uh, but no, I enjoyed the journey of going through it, seeing the inconsistencies, and having, like you said on there previously, the professionals who know a hell of a lot more than you do, you know, bring their bring their part to the game. And um, yeah, just look, there's a lot we don't know, and so to put your faith in all this is... Not the best move because there's just so many questions that we will probably never know the answer to. I enjoyed it a lot. So you didn't really say, oh, okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay, edit all that out. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it with my popcorn and Coke. <laughs> and now whiskey. We, we, had you been to the whiskey distillery no, yet? <laughs> no, no, I would have passed out because yeah. what I didn't tell you was that after I danced in the parking lot, I woke up in my bed naked. But I had a smile on my face, so I figured, whatever happened, all good, all good. Did you did your dick smell like goat? That's, <laughs> I, didn't, I I can't bend down that far to reach it. If I could, I would probably never leave home. So I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> all right, yeah, let's get on with focus. this. Uh, let's get on with this show. It's December nineteen forty six. The Battle of Hanoi. Mm-hmm. Has just happened. Um, Ho and his uh, musketeers. Ho and the musketeers have slipped out of Hanoi, right? And they've uh, gone north of Hanoi into the jungles and the mountains. Yeah, in the Viet Bac region, their old base where they were previously mm-hmm. before they uh, declared the independence of Vietnam. They've slipped. Slipped out of town, got the fuck out of Dodge. They've gone up to Deadwood. Right. By the way, watch the uh, watch the, the the teaser trailer for the new Deadwood movie this morning. Oh, looking so forward to excited it. Excited yes. about that. Yes. So excited. <laughs> Tarantino trailer hit yesterday. Deadwood trailer hit today. Oh. Stranger Things series three trailer hit yesterday. Now I'm just waiting on the uh, Many Saints of Newark trailer, the uh, prequel to The Sopranos, right. which should be dropping soon too. And the Iceman, Scorsese's mm. film with De Niro, Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey wow. Keitel, 
the, be the last great outing for Scorsese yeah. and De Niro, I think. Um, Good oh, times to live. Like Christmases. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Great times. Yes. Now, um, Ho has decided he's, he's not giving up on peace. He's reaching out again to Emile Bolliart, mm-hmm. the f- new French High Commissioner, Bolly, right. Bollywood, <laughs> Bollywood the Commish. <laughs> Still trying, Poe's still trying to sue for peace. He's like, listen, we don't need to do this. He's Julius Caesar reaching out to Pompey. Listen, seriously, we don't need to do this. I don't want much. All I want is complete independence (laughs) and freedom. That's all. all. Is that asking too much? Oh, it is. Okay. Bollywood. Bollywood. uh, Woody. Yes, he would. (laughs) Uh, Bollywood counted with a set of conditions. Right. He said, sure, uh, we can talk. Uh, before we do that, though, I need you to lay down your arms and completely surrender. <laughs> Sounds um, right. Yeah. Now, to, con- to convey the message to Ho, Bollywood sent Paul Moose, mm-hmm. uh, old friend of Ho's uh, from his Paris days, he sent him to deliver the message. He had to walk. 40 miles through the jungles, slippery paths, up over up over hill and down dale. Um, I've heard of Chippendale, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he went up Chip and down dale. Um, through Viet Minh-controlled territory, Ooh. Ooh. he arrived at Ho's base at 3 a.m., on May 12th, right. 1947. Damn. So this is quite a few months after the Battle of Hanoi. Yes. And was brought into Ho's living quarters. What was the first thing that Paul Moose said to Ho in this very auspicious moment, Ray? Hey, Ho. I don't. I don't know what. Not quite. What did Paul? Don't mess with Mus. Say to Ho. See, this is this is a test. Oh. See, now I know how how much research you've done. Right. Well, I, I know if you, you don't that. know this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. you've been whisk. You, you've researched your whiskies, <laughs> which is good. Like I, I commend you for that. But uh, not. I'm disappointed in sure. me too. What What did he say? Well, he had a, he had a long long tr- a long. Hike a long trek to get there. He had, he had a lot of time to think about. Right. What will my opening words be? He wanted to get it exactly right. <clears throat> Fair and balanced. Something that would be remembered in the history books for all time. Uh, a noble gesture. Thank you. All right. Okay. Yeah. He's like, when I die, <laughs> they will write about this meeting, and On they my will tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is so. He came up with the. You know, he's thinking, okay, you've got your A2 Brutes, you've got your To the Strongest, right. you've got your, uh, you know, your, your how many, uh, the Pope, how many divisions does he have? Right. You've got, you've got all of these uh, great one-liners. Yes. Paul Mush decided he was going to have his own. So he was brought in before Ho, just to picture the scenes, 3 a.m., yeah. the jungles of Vietnam. There's, there's tigers, right. there's, there's dragons, humid. there's all sorts of stuff prowling around in the woods outside. Oh, humid, yeah. mosquitoes yeah. the size of dogs, dogs <laughs> the size of Baby dinosaurs. rhinos, rhinos right. the size right. of... Bigger, you, you get bigger rhinos. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, taken, he's taken in little candle-lit, hastily built bamboo 
Piece shack with a thatch right. roof. Ho is uh, sitting on his bed. It's not really a bed. <laughs> it's really just a plank of wood right. with a mosquito net over right. it. Um, he's got his beard, his wispy white right. beard, his um, fragile, yeah. f- you know, uh, uh, canvasy type clothes. Slips on his sandals, parts the 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 the, the mosquito net, comes out, and Paul Morse gathers himself up. He's a Frenchman. He's a very <laughs> proud Frenchman. Gathers himself, straightens his back to his full height, right. looks Ho directly in the eyes. You can hear crickets chirping, <gasps> tigers growling in the background. In the jungle, right? Ho's 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 tummy is. Uh, <laughs> Rumbling because he's hungry, it's hasn't had much to eat. Rumbling. And Paul Mush says, Comment allez-vous? <laughs> Comment allez-vous? How are you? That's all, he, that's all he could come up with. He's like, oh, fuck it, I'll just go with Comment allez-vous. <laughs> to which Ho replied, Suffisamment de beyond. Suffisamment de beyond. Uh, yeah, well enough. Yeah. So that was that was the profoundness of the Boo. conversation. How you doing? Yeah, right. Boo. <laughs> Built up. Anti-clip. So Ho, yeah, but Ho's reply, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. did not seem to be the reply of a man who was ready to beg the ah. French for leniency. Please. Um, right. So I think we we mentioned this last time, but. Um, Paul yeah. Mush laid out the specifics of the proposal that it wasn't his idea. He'd been giving it by Bollywood. Bollywood told him what he had to say. Right. Mush is just his uh, mouthpiece. Right. And this is when Ho replied, in the French Union, there is no place for cowards. If I accepted these conditions, I would be one. Mm. And Mush basically said, yeah, fair enough. You're right. <laughs> Ho... Ho, Ho asked Mush, if the, if the positions were reversed, would you accept surrender? Ooh, Mush said, ooh. no, of course not. Ooh. And Ho said, well, guess the meeting's over then. And it Ow. was. The champagne bottle that Ho had been carrying around with him with since right. 1919. Right. When he, was, when he went to the, the peace conference in Paris in 1919, he bought a bottle of French champagne, pretty sure that as soon as... Woodrow Wilson got his note, he would uh, declare yeah. Vietnam free and independent. Uh, he's been carrying this bottle <laughs> of Chateau, Chateau de Chasselet. Right. Uh, you know, it was a cheap bottle of cheap, cheap bottle of champagne in 1919 when he bought it from a supermarket in Paris. He's been holding it. It's now 40 years old. Mm. Well, not quite. 20, 20 28 years still, old. He's been, still. <laughs> You don't want to know. You don't know where he was, where he's been carrying it. I'm not even going to tell you where he's been carrying it all these years. But uh, these lonely nights in the jungle, what he's done right. with this bottle of champagne. But uh, yeah, it remained. Uh, he seriously had a champagne bottle with him when Paul Mush was there, and wow. it remained unopened because Mush turned around and left. He oh well, God. guess can I stay the night? No. I said no, no. There's no room on my plank for two. Under my can't even spoon you. <laughs> So Paul Paul Moose turned around and walked back to Hanoi. Oh my god! Um, he later said, "Paul Moose, this is that that one meeting 
with Ho, mm-hmm. brief as it was, taught him more than he had learned 30 years in diplomatic service. Wow. About what a people could wish for and accomplish. Right. Yeah. Now, after Mush left, it is believed that no Westerner, at least no non-communist Westerner, Mm -hmm. saw Ho Chi Minh in the flesh for seven years. Oh, my God. He he disappeared like Kaiser Sose. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. People weren't even sure that Ho Chi Minh existed. He's a mess. He's just a rumour. The kids, the parents told their kids to scare them. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus into the wilderness. Yes. Uh, you've seen my film and that's it. It's all over for you. <laughs> I'm ruined. Yeah. Um, how good is Richard Carrier in that oh. film, man? And Mark Goodacre. How good are those guys, really? Yeah, the top notch. They are... Uh, yeah. You know, and and Brett Landau, like all my scholars, A- AJ, Amy Jill, yeah, oh man, Robert M. Price, yeah, Mike Bird, your biggest fan, <laughs> for me, one of one of the uh, Christian scholars, Australian Christian scholars, in my films, sent me a DM the other day saying, "Hey, hey, listen, tell Ray I'm a big fan of his World War Two show, love it, and I'm so glad that he's such a." Um, uh, uh, Faithful Catholic mm-hmm. comes out in his show. He's such a good Catholic boy. You know, I that's great to hear. No way. And I was like, really? Really? Wow. Okay. Maybe he's only listened to the first Canada, 10 episodes. I really can't explain it. Yeah. I, I really cannot. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. But anyway. Did, did you mention at all in those early episodes having sex with older boys? Was um, that... I should ask him that. Oh, really? Did he talk about having sex with older boys? Is that I, so? not really mentioned it? I think I was bragging more. Maybe that's Bra- what it was. <laughs> bragging rights. So I think that I think You're that's what worst. it was. You're the worst. Yeah, yeah. That's terrible. I know. Um, <clears throat> now, Paul Moore said he, he had drawn three conclusions after this brief meeting. Mm-hmm. One, yep. Ho was the undisputed leader of the Viet Minh. Right. Two, Ho had complete confidence in the Viet Minh's plans for revolution. Three, mm-hmm. get it to open the box. Now, hold on, that's another <laughs> three-point plan. The three was different. the program had already accomplished an enormous amount in the countryside because Mus was walking through the countryside. Right. He saw Everywhere he went on his way there, he could see, you know, people with sharpened bamboo sticks yeah. giving him a look. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he said he'd already realised at this very early juncture that while the French might be able to occupy these regions, they would never achieve any sort of lasting control over them because France had already lost the battle. Oh. The the battle for the support of the local population, right, the hearts and minds. Peasants, tens of thousands of peasants who during the day looked like they were innocently working the fields turned into gorillas after dark, Mm. sabotaging the roads, the bridges, getting ready for the French. So he already knew, Paul Mush claims, at this stage he knew the French 
could not win. Right. And he tried telling Bollywood and his and Valui and these other guys that, but nobody would listen. Right. He knew that this was not going to be a war for territory. It was a war for the people. And the French had already lost. And the Viet Minh had already won. And nothing could change that. Just a matter of when. Yeah. So Ho, yep. on, on the other hand, now knew that there was no alternative to the military option for him. So he cut a hole in a box. <laughs> Said, gather around, everybody. Yeah, so later that same month in May of 1947, he sends out a message to the people. Help me as much as you can resist the French because their conditions are unacceptable. I've said no to them. They've said no to me. It is going to come down to, you know, war. And I need your help as much as you can possibly give me. And like we said earlier, this guy is, you know, he's respected. He's popular. He's seen as sacrificing for the people. So there is going to be a heavy response to his pleas for help from the people. But uh, Ho apparently is not as confident as he made himself appear Mm -hmm. to Paul Moss. He was very aware of the fact that he was all alone. He didn't have the support of Mao, (laughs) who was busy holed up fighting Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, Chinese nationalists. He didn't have the support of Stalin, who was busy trying to rebuild his country after the devastation of World War II and busy trying to build himself a bomb so he could achieve parity with the United States. Oh, yeah? Uh, Okay, I'll ask him. But he's already got one, you see. You want a bomb? Oh, I think he's already got one. He didn't have the support of the Americans. Right. Despite many attempts. Um, He was ho alone. Alone ho. So So ho alone. So ho alone. If this was, if this was a South Park music, like a break into a song, a break into a song. I'm whole alone. I'm whole alone. It's my best, Adam Sandler. I'm, I'd cast Adam Sandler as Ho Chi Minh if I was making a, 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 an animated musical of this. Uh, by the way, how good are the animations in my film? Oh, animations make the film. Lo- don't yes, they? love those. Lot, lot was smoother, look, very slick looking. I enjoy those a lot, and very funny. Very and the- funny. And funny, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. Do you like do you like my voices that oh, I do in the animations? I I think you rehearsed because those were actually and don't take this the wrong way a lot better than you do on the podcast. So uh, those were very very good and great editing. I enjoyed those, but but I do have to ask real quick, like the Jesus mm, roar at mm. the very beginning. Who in the hell came up with that mm-hmm. one? Yeah. That was me. <laughs> that was me. Well, it's it's me doing my Wizard of Oz lion impersonation. So it's it's the Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah. Oh, Torsten. Right? Torsten said he's my executive producer. Said he thinks that's the greatest moment in cinema history. Right there, where I did the lion roar. The well, I watched it um, and I was quiet for about three yeah. seconds, and then I burst out laughing. <laughs> it, it, it's that subtle. It's that fucking subtle at first. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Well, I, you know, the, the idea there is, you know, straight off the bat what you're getting when you see that. You're like, right. okay, well, okay. this film is going to be not down, your yeah. average Jesus film. Exactly. exactly. And the thing, like I, I said to Chrissy last night, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow my horns, but when was the last time, my, I wish I could, like you, I wish I could bend down and blow my own horn, like <laughs> it would be a very different world. Um, a lot closer. When was the last time you saw a documentary that had humorous animations in it to help tell the story every few minutes? Yeah, no. 
No. Doesn't happen, right? No. I think I've invented, like I invented history podcasting, <laughs> more or less. Um, invented podcasting, pretty much. Uh, I think I've now invented the idea of comedy animations inside a otherwise very serious right. documentary. Because Heather watches serious shit be all big. the time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just real quick. What was that? Uh, um, Heather watches a ton of documentaries, but they're like seri- oh, serious and serial killer. So there's very little humorous yeah. breaks in animation in there. Well, they should, you know. It's a little <laughs> bit of a Ted Bundy animation. Like he's, like he's ordering at a restaurant or something. College girls' yeah. heads in. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just real quick before we go on. So, so what you were saying is that, you know, the, um, the, uh, the Chinese communists are busy and Stalin's, Stalin's busy in 1947, so he hasn't got time to focus on that. And that's absolutely true. And I wanted to just give two examples of what Stalin's doing in 1947 to, to why he doesn't give a flying fuck about what's going on in Vietnam. So in late 1946, the non-USSR annexed portion of Poland... Um, they had a vote, and very few people turned out for this vote. So they have a second election in January of 1947, and by all the by the American and British and French accounts, it's rigged. But it's that vote that transforms Poland into the People's Republic of Poland, where the communists officially take over. So the Americans don't trust that. There's a lot of tension going on, and later on in that year is when General, uh, excuse me, yeah, when General George Marshall spends six weeks with Stalin in Moscow trying to work out something about Germans, ec- Germany's economic problems. And Stalin basically doesn't give a fuck. And then on June 5th, 1947, is when Marshall gives that speech that we all call the Marshall Plan. So there's a ton of stuff going on in 1947. The United States and the USSR are just just literally forehead to forehead, and the tension's increasing, and there's just a lack of trust. So neither side can really give that much attention, at least Stalin, to this penny-ante issue. That's in Vietnam. He just does not have the time and the resources to deal with it or to help in any way, if, even if he wanted to. Yeah. So I'm over that. Okay. Mm. Now, well, uh, none of these people are jumping in to help. However, there were volunteer brigades forming mm. in various British, various British colonies around the world wow. ready to sail to Vietnam to help the Viet Minh. Ooh. There were brigades forming in British Malaya, right. in India, and in Burma. These these people know what it's like to be oppressed by a colonial power, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Fuck yes, let's <laughs> go and fight the European colonialists." Okay, right. we we we're not strong enough to fight our own colonialists, but we'll go right. and fight these other colonial colonialists, yeah. the French. Um. But before any of these volunteer brigades could set sail, the British crushed them oh. uh, because they were like, mm, no, yeah, no, no, listen, uh, you know, this is not we, good. We, 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 we like the French and we don't like the idea of people rising well, up and overthrowing their colonial masters. So we need the kind French. Of that. We need so good. The, yeah, exactly. We fought, in a, yeah. We, fought in a, we fought Napoleon for a reason. That's right. Right, we we can't have people overthrowing their uh, colonial powers. That's right, it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. So this must have scared the shit out of the Western powers to know that all these, you know, people in these various countries were seriously trying to rise up and to get over there and help. I mean, how does that not scare the bejesus out of the Western powers? So yeah, that must have been a little nightmare moment for them until the British put them down. 
So, yeah, so again, so Stalin uh, seems uninterested. Washington is semi interested, but they are they're certainly not happy with the heavy handedness of the French, but they're trying to stay on the on the France's side. So the whole thing, the whole thing is just an issue for for the Americans. So again, as the fighting had started in late 1946 in Hanoi, the Undersecretary of State Dean Acheson, he called the French ambassador Henri Bonnet, I think is how you say his name, um, to the State Department. The ambassador shows up and uh, Acheson says, look, we were looking at the situation in Vietnam, and it's just got destruction written all over it. We just imagine this horrid war. It's going to go on for years. Thousands, you know, millions of dollars of destruction, thousands of lives lost. This is not good. So however you solve this, please do not solve it by force. And at the same time, Atchison says, look, again, we don't want to interfere. We support you. You're our ally. However, we are more than willing to help France and Vietnam reach a solution. To this, Paris straight up says, I don't know what French for fuck you is, but something along those lines. The French attitude is, and we've seen this before, first we will restore order with our military might, and only then will we talk to the Vietnamese. Yeah, I've actually got a recording of the uh, French response to uh, oh, nice. Atchison. I'm French! Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? You don't frighten us, English pig dogs. Go and boil your bottom, sons of a silly person. I'll blow my nose at you, so-called Arthur King. You and all your silly English niggas. I talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> so that was the was longer the version. Response. Right, right. The official. Yeah. 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 Oh. Now, around about the same time as you uh, uh, indicated before, George Marshall uh, had replaced Jimmy Burns as Secretary of State. Jimmy. As uh, people may recall, right. if you've been listening long enough, Jimmy Burns and uh, Truman mm-hmm. sort of fell out. Jimmy Burns had been talking shit about Truman <laughs> behind his back. You can't do that. Truman uh, Truman heard about it and, um, you know, that love affair was over. So right. George Marshall was the new Secretary of State. He had been in China mm-hmm. doing his best to negotiate a truce between the Kuomintang and Mao Zedong and the communists mm. uh, mm-hmm. didn't go so well. <laughs> didn't take. And from, ev- from everything I've read about George Marshall, not his best years. No. These no. years. Um, he's in his late 60s, a lot of health problems, mm. doesn't like to work a lot. Uh, his daily schedule included an afternoon nap and then... He would knock off. He'd, he'd punch the clock at four thirty. It sounds right. Um, he basically had Ray's work in. I mean, he was he, he he wasn't going to a whiskey bar in the middle of the day. Uh, but apart from that, pretty much Ray's work. Right. 
But see, the other thing was that is, is that Marshall had leverage over Chiang Kai-shek. He could say, look, if you do... If you don't do what I say, I can always reduce or cut back or stop the arms supplies that we're giving you. But he, as far as I know, um, Marshall had no leverage over Mao Zedong. He was just saying, please, please, please come and talk to my guy. You two need to work something out. But here's my thing. George Marshall and the United States wanted China to set up a coalition government under Chiang Kai-shek. Why in the hell would Mao Zedong go, go for that? It, it just makes no sense to me. They were trying to, I don't know if it's political muscle or financial promises or whatever, but yeah, th- at the end of the day, it doesn't get anywhere and the negotiations break down and, and war is coming. It, that we all know it's, you know it's the Chinese Civil War that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he did such a good job of negotiating a truce with the Chinese that he thought, fuck it, I can do the same thing in Vietnam. You know, his motto, like a lot of these guys, you know, Truman had a plaque on his desk. His motto was, the buck stops here. But what people didn't see is on the back of that, there was an arrow that was pointing at other people because he was throwing them under the bus all the time. Right. Uh, well, Marshall had a pla- Marshall was inspired by, by that. He had a plaque on his desk that said, if at first you don't succeed, fuck, fuck it up again. Um, fuck up something else. Claim that victory was, and fuck again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he sent a cable to the U.S. ambassador in Paris, Jefferson Caffrey, mm-hmm. not to be confused with our listener, uh, and uh, tattoo artist extraordinaire James Caffey, right? Different guy right. altogether. <clears throat> and told him, I think. I mean, uh, I, haven't, Ooh, I haven't looked at a, a photo point. of Jefferson that's Caffrey. They, 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 they could be. They could the be the same person. Former ambassador to France. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I just pull up a photo of Jefferson Caffrey. Yeah, he's got way more hair than than the other James Caffey. So died right. died in Louisiana in 1974. So, uh, but who knows? So, so, who knows? So. Strange, stranger things have happened. True. Um, speaking of strange things that people believe in, uh, we're going to be doing an anti-vax series, I think, on the Bullshit Filter in a couple of weeks. Yes. We're going to start talking about anti-vaxxers because yes. you got I us got, in trouble. Got, yeah. Mm, I'm not overly concerned, but okay. But I will be nice and respectful. Oh, wow. Yeah. You should be you should be concerned. Mm. This is your credibility as a podcaster oh, come on. on the line here. I still have some? Come on. No. You Thank you. Any. It's my credibility oh, as a podcaster that's on the line. Now I'm really for letting you. <laughs> but I was reporting on a legitimate story. I wasn't, you know, I was just saying this is what the 18 year old did. But we're going to get into all that later. And it's if it's okay with everybody, mm. we're going to use mm. science. Science, science, bitches. Um, Sorry. So, so Marshall sent a cable to the U.S. ambassador James Caffrey, mm-hmm. um, and told him. Not much, um, because the Americans didn't really have much of a position on this at the time or ever, really. Right. Um, He confirmed that the US's official position on French sovereignty in Indochina was that they didn't want to get involved, really. Um, On the one hand, Marshall wrote, we have only the friendliest feelings towards France. (laughs) Oh, de Gaulle, we love him. I told them we love the gold. Um, we are anxious in every way we can to support France in her fight to retain her economic, political and military strength and to restore herself as, in fact, one of the major powers of the world. 
Now, yeah. by regain her economic, political, and military strength, he's basically saying restore her control over her former colonial acquisitions. Right, take their shit. Yeah. What happened to America and the Atlantic Charter and the freedom of all peoples, Ray? Mm, I think, how should I put this? Not unlike the shooter in New Zealand focused on the white Europeans, I think, Mm. would be my guess. It's as nice as Mm. I can put that. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom for all white (laughs) European Christian-y peoples. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now... In, in, in case there was any misunderstanding mm-hmm. in the minds of the French regarding the US position on Indochina, he included, they must appreciate that we have fully recognised France's sovereign position in that area mm. and we do not wish to have it appear that we are in any way endeavouring to undermine that position. Right. But at the same time... So, hmm. The Americans would... It sounds like the Americans are saying one thing to them officially, but unofficially saying, you know, if there wasn't like dead bodies all over the place, that would be good. So I, I think you're right. I think America's yeah. backing the French and they, they know it's difficult for them and they've got their fears about communism. But at the same time, we just ended a major world war. They don't actually want to see more bloodshed than necessary. Just throw a tarpaulin over those dead bodies <laughs> when tourists come by, if you don't mind. <laughs> Right. Something. A little bit of baking soda on them, yeah. disguise the smell. A little uh, bit of Febreze. Oh, Febreze, yeah. Like Glen that. 20. Shh. Yeah, spray Shh. it in the air a bit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. He uh, he did add, we cannot shut our eyes to the fact that there are two sides to this problem and that our reports indicate both a lack of French understanding of other side, mm-hmm. more in Saigon than in Paris, and continuing existence of a dangerous, outmoded colonial outlook and methods in area. That's pretty good, right? But, that's, that, that's a, well, that's yeah. a slap Listen, on the knuckles. Look, we're, not, we're not going to interfere, but right. uh, come on, guys. That's Don't pretty much what it was. Okay. He, then, he then added, uh, we do not lose sight of the fact that Ho Chi Minh has direct communist connections, and it should be obvious that we are not interested in seeing colonial empires and administrations supplanted by philosophy and political organisations emanating from and controlled by Kremlin. Okay, so here we go. Where's the proof? Where's the facts? Where's the direct connection between Moscow, Ho, Mao Zedong, Ho? Or is this just what everybody assumes to be the case? Yeah, well, Americans have never let facts get in the way of uh, a good story. taking a position oh, on right. things, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, America's economic power was built on the on on, on just hard, hard work, work and capitalism and Faith pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Bootstraps, you yeah. know, yeah. had nothing to do with uh, stealing all of the Native Americans' land nope. using black African slaves to build their economic power and then just waiting until the rest of the world 
fought each other and just sitting on the sidelines for a few years until everyone was well and truly fucked up and then coming in at the last minute going, hey, we won. <laughs> Look, we played the heroes. flag. Woo! Uh, Yay! Yeah. Uh, being slightly facetious on the last <laughs> point, but the first two points are very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, facts. Yeah, they, they had no, no evidence to support the connections between Ho. And as we well know, and as Ho was telling people at the time, listen, we got no connection to Stalin. Yeah. He won't even fucking return my emails. We got nothing, nothing right. going on there. But they were like, hmm, yeah, but, you know, you look a little bit red. Right. So a little, at least little pink, scrawny. bright pink. Scrawny means red. Yeah. He should have said, look. So the official American. Mm. I'm sorry, my name is Ho. I will do it with anyone. You do it with me, I'll do it with you. He was looking for help from anybody. I'm just saying he was living up to his name, and even that wasn't enough for the Americans. They just assumed. So the official, Amer- the official American position was, listen, we don't like colonialism, but we like communism even less, <laughs> right. even if it's the will of the people. Doesn't matter. So we'd rather have colonialism than independent people that are communists. Right. Now, I was thinking about this last night. Like, okay, so this is 1947, right? Mm-hmm. When was the Russian Revolution? Is it 1917? Yeah. Okay. How many years earlier was that? I don't do maths. Hmm. 30 years 30 ago. 30 years. Was the Russian Revolution. Right. Hmm. Um, how many countries, outside of World War II, how many countries has Russia invaded in that 30-year period? Um, Finland and the Latvian countries, so four. Outside of World War II. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You said that. I apologize, dude. Uh, That would be a big stinking zero. (laughs) Zero. So, you know, I think, you know, when we we talk about communism um, here in the 21st century, people often confuse, I think, communism then with communism that we saw in after World War II, mm-hmm. right? When there was this scramble for right. economic parity and, and, and nuclear parity. But communists have been in control of Russia for 30 years at this juncture. Hadn't invaded anywhere outside of World War II. Um, and uh, and everyone had invaded everywhere in World War Two, right? <laughs> yes. So um, the, the, they had invaded no one. Uh, yeah, okay. Stalin had his purge in his own country, but they hadn't invaded anywhere. They weren't trying to take over the world. Yes, they were supporting communist um, uh, revolutions, sort of, in 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 Poland and in Balkans. Um, uh, Yugoslavia, right. yeah, with Tito and that kind of stuff, although that didn't go well. But Stalin's official policy had been for quite a long time communism in one country at this point, right? He was deliberately saying, no, no, we're just trying to get it right here at home. Um, we're not really pushing it anywhere else. We're not ready. Um, so, yeah, so this this whole abject fear that the Americans have of communism isn't based, as people might assume, on this kind of... uh, This is before Cuba. This is before... 
I'm trying to think of another example. I mean, this is before all of those late 20th century uh, communist revolutions, right? This is they're just at home, just watching TV. The communists in Russia, they're not, you know, they're not running around the world with a big flag, putting it everywhere. Um, so it's got to be based on something else. So this this antagonism and fear that the Americans have towards communism mm-hmm. is not based on their the communist past history of taking over, and it's not based on their rhetoric saying they are going to take over because they're not saying that. Stalin is very clearly saying, no, nah, we're just going to fix it here, um, get it right. Uh, now, what do you think was really going on? What's the basis of the Americans' fear of uh, the communists? Um, this this is going to be a very vague answer. It's not going to satisfy you, but almost really that's that's but, that's but, that's surprising <laughs> coming from you, right? I think everyone's everyone's shocked. Look, I'm going to fuck up your credibility enough as it is. Don't mess with me because we can always go into the basement. No, um, every. Every um, Cold War book I've ever read always starts in the introduction with the same line or idea. These two systems of government were so different, there could not be trust. I think literally the Americans were looking at the Soviets and they were just so different, their, their government, their culture, everything else, that I just don't think there was ever going to be trust between them. Now, having said that is one thing, but when you take that and you project your greatest fears onto that entity that you don't understand, that you don't trust, suddenly you can um, you can get very paranoid about that. But I really do is just they were just so different from all the other countries that I just don't think America was ever going to be comfortable with them. With the American mentality, and especially with the war ending, I think we were just literally um, black or white. The American attitude at that point, at the end of World War II, just simply black or white. That's my take. Well, you're right on one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That didn't satisfy me at all. (laughs) Um, No, I think it's... Click. If I'm a strategic planner in Washington, right, um, uh, and in, in in 1947, and I'm going, okay, well, let's let's project, let's let's look at the world, okay, mm-hmm. as it is today. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, a bunch of people uh, in Europe. Their countries have been fucked up by two world wars in fairly rapid succession. Uh, plus, they they've been under the control of corrupt, brutal monarchies for centuries, and the people have been treated like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people are very unhappy about their standard of living, quality of life across Europe. They're probably going to want more out of life. They want a better life. Now, in, if we look at other parts of the world, we look at Latin America, we look at Asia, these people, a lot of them too, have been under colonial oppression for centuries. Mm-hmm. Spanish, French, British, uh, Portuguese. Um, These people also are going to want to overthrow their colonial masters and they're going to want more uh, equitable distribution of wealth and political power in their country because that's what people want, right? They want, in terms of outside of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they want some say in how their countries are run and they want an equitable distribution of wealth. They don't want 1% of the population to be insanely rich and everyone else is starving. They want the money to be spread around more fairly. Mm -hmm. Now, 
We're capitalists, say these Washington planners. Uh, are we gonna Are we gonna give them that more? You know, more equitable distribution of wealth and more political power? Not really. No, that's not our That's not our model. I mean, yeah, we'll say, oh, you can have an election as long as you're trying to elect one of the people that we approve of. Right. Um, don't try and elect Chavez or Maduro. Don't like them. We'll give. We'll give you. The, we'll tell you who you can elect and who you can vote for. You don't get any say over this. No, no Ho Chi Minh's. You fucking kidding me? But if they go, if these people go with communism, right? They're they're probably not going to allow us to come in and rape their economies like we want. That's not fair. They're not going to let us come in, take all of their natural resources. Right. Because communists are going to go, well, no, we're going to keep it for the people. Now, that's not good for us as American capitalists. Right. We want their, we want their natural resources. We want to be able to sell our shit to them. We want, to, we want them yeah. to buy our shit. With the little bit of money that they have, these poor rice field motherfucking growing people. We want them to buy our televisions and right. uh, our cigarettes. Yeah. Um, now, if they go communist, the communists are probably going to educate them in moral philosophy and uh, financial independence, and they're not going to buy our shit. They're not going to let us have their land. So that's not good for us if they go communist. Plus, they're probably going to join a communist trading bloc Mm-hmm. Where communists will trade with communists, and then we're increasingly getting locked out of the economy in those countries. So it's not good for us if these might be good for them if they go communist, but not give some fuck for about us. them. Oh, sorry, sorry. So, yeah, exactly. Are they Americans? No. So fuck them. Um, <laughs> we need to stop communism from getting a toehold. And then the then you got the domino effect. If these people go communist and it works out for them and they have more equitable distribution of wealth and they have more political power and you know they start to, to get educated, uh, then everyone's going to want one. Uh, <laughs> what if our own people go, oh, that communism looks tasty. Right. Can we have some of that? Then the powers that, of that's, that's Yeah. Can't have that. Yeah. Can't have that. No. Can't have that. So, um, uh, rebuttal. It's like if you let your kids, if you let your kids right. play with other people's kids, you know, you, you have, you have, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. I had nothing. I was poor, right. dirt, dirt fucking poor. <laughs> right. We were growing up. My, my, my dad was unemployed because he was an alcoholic Scottish bum most of the time. My mother worked as a barmaid when I was very little and, yeah. and then didn't work for years. We had nothing. I've seen my mother's uh, uh, budget books that she had, where she would be tallying up wow. like a dollar forty for the week and trying to figure out how she could get one egg. She, we were uh, on food stamps yeah. at one point there. Where she'd have to go to the supermarket with the food stamp lady, mm-hmm. who would. Uh, my mother was like in a women's shelter at one point because my dad was beating us up or beating her up and violent. My mother had to, you know, ha- get the the you know, social services person. To take yeah. her to the supermarket, and they had like three dollars to spend. She'd get one egg, um, a quarter milk, and uh, you know a carrot. Damn, and a whole a carrot, piece of piece of month old mince, and uh, stale mince. And you know we'd have to figure out how to live on that for a week. So we were dirt poor. But then I had my, I had friends who had who were rich, had money, and you know you go you go to the house. They've got a record player right. with records, right. and. <laughs> A television, Whoa. and they have the the 
new clothes and a new bike and a nice car and a swimming pool yeah. and R2-D2 toys <laughs> and a Death Star and a friend who had a complete fucking Death Star model with every character that he put in it. And, nice. You know, you... you, you, you if you if you see people that have all this nice shit, you, you want some too. You go, oh, I want that. Why can't I yeah, have that? Yeah. Because right? you're poor. We're poor. Shut up. Slap <laughs> back in the head. <laughs> but the, the, the Americans were thinking that about communism. If our people see how nice the communists have it, they're going to go, hey, why, uh, why can't we have some communism? Spread it around. So you can't let your kids hang around with the communist kids because then they'll all want some. <laughs> right. Basically. So here's here's my rebuttal. Our two answers um, are not mutually exclusive. I mean, you can certainly say that the Americans were uncomfortable with a different uh, country, different form of government. Um, they didn't trust them. And then you throw in our, our wanting to make sure that our economy never, ever again suffers what it did during the Great Depression with everything you just said. And you've got the per- perfect recipe for absolute distrust and this will never work out and the only thing you can hope for is that these two countries do not get into an active shooting war which is pretty much what happened they did tr- they distrusted each other for decades yeah yeah now i know some people are sitting there going oh cameron riley you're so fucking full of shit <laughs> people in communist countries don't have anything nice they they they're starving. It's all relative. Um, their corrupt leaders take everything. Yeah. Well, it, but it's true. But, of course, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, uh, a lot of these countries, the communist countries, have found themselves in situations where they had to spend enormous sums of money to defend themselves mm. from uh, Western invasions, mostly American invasions, NATO building up missiles all on their border, getting ready to attack, or economic sanctions. Uh, if you're in Cuba, where the world's largest superpowers said, no, fuck you, no one can trade with you anymore. You can't buy or sell anything. Um, so there's been deliberate attempts on behalf of the West to, to destroy, in a manner of ways, the economies of these countries. But I'm not discounting the fact that the people who rose to power in these a lot of these communist countries may have been extremely corrupt, mm-hmm. may have been extremely sure. bad people, and Psychopaths. may have, uh, may yeah, and may have deliberately kept their own people poor, so they couldn't rise up and overthrow the uh, uh, guys on top. Mm-hmm. That's probably did happen in a number of places. I don't think it happened in all of them, but it probably happened in a number. But here's the thing I keep saying to people. People go, oh, look at communism. It's failed everywhere. I go, yeah, okay. So 1917, that was just over a century ago, the first socialist revolution. Um, Go back and have a look at the history of capitalism. Depending on when you define the history of capitalism as starting, mm-hmm. but I would say with the creation of the f- of the first public corporations. Right. So you go back to the East India companies, the Dutch East India Company, the British East India Company. You go back to the 16th, 17th century is when capitalism started. Have a look at the track record of capitalism in its first couple of hundred years. During its first couple of hundred years, capitalism was involved in colonial occupation of countless countries, the near genocide of the native populations of those countries, massive amounts of slavery, uh, keeping their own people poor while there was a handful of rich who worked their people in uh, factories, industrial factories where there was no 
uh, time off. You were working 18-hour days, child labor in these capitalist factories. You look at the first few hundred years of up until the mid-20th century, really, is when capitalism slightly... It was FDR and then beyond, where capitalism started to get reined in a little bit from its, mm-hmm. from its excesses. Um, you got a couple of hundred years of capitalists, capitalists basically fucking up everything that they touched and treating people like shit. It took a few hundred years for us to work out how to get some balance into capitalism where they weren't able to just treat people like shit. These things take time to settle in, for us to find the balances, to to weed out the psychopaths and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we still haven't done that. We still have, look at the wealth divide in the United States as an example, where 0.01% of the population controls, I don't know, 50% of the wealth. Um, we still have massive problems in capitalism, and you can look at the other dangers, of like the, the, the way that capitalism's destroyed the environment and... All this kind of stuff. So, and and the world wars that were caused by capitalist countries. It was two capitalist. It was capitalist countries that led us into two world wars. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my point is that people look at the wrong things. They go, "Oh, communism failed." Yeah, okay, but it failed for a lot of reasons, and it shouldn't be expected to. See. You don't you don't invent a new socioeconomic system right out of the gate and that everything goes smoothly. Right. That's never happened. <laughs> if if you wanna if you wanna judge the successful failure of communism in its first 50 years, 100 years. Have a look at ca- the first 50 years of capitalism as a comparison and say, well, what's the if you if you were like scoring right capitalism uh versus communism, which did a better job? I think the communists would come out well ahead of capitalism's first 50 or 100 years. Anyway, that's my that's my view on that. I don't know how I go I that. Don't the fuck am I even going Let me, I know we're uh, almost up, so I'll just I just want to get back to the marshal sending the marshal telegram to his ambassador to Paris. So basically, he's getting you know he's he's uh, he's getting used to his job now that he's Secretary of State, and he's not offering a solution. He's just saying, "Hey, Frenchy guys, try to work this out." Don't be so stingy. Try to give them something. You know, focus on a little bit of compassion when you when you get into the details of any kind of solution. But what we're going to see is that this was a very middle of the road type of approach that's going to last during the Truman administration, and that's not what and that's really not what George Marshall is known for. He's a hard ass. He's like he, most of the time, if you go back and you read his quotes, you read his statements. This guy is hardcore. Get to the base of a problem. Beat the hell out of it and solve the problem. But he's not working for himself. He's working for Truman. Truman's got a lot of other things distracting him. And so Marshall is doing the best he can within the limitations that Truman is giving him. But the point is, at the end of the day, this this message going to France isn't helping one bit in either way. Well... No, I, I think it is helping in a slight way because mm. the the French in Paris kind of knew that um, it was just a matter of time before the Americans did run out of patience for oh. the way the French were conducting themselves in Indochina. They basically dodged a bullet here and that they, they kind of knew that they needed to change their approach somewhat in Indochina. 
the uh, guy, the the. I'm not sure if he was the foreign minister, but he worked for the foreign ministry in France, Jean Chauvel. He wrote in February of '47, I think. It appears. <clears throat> Here we go. I can't even think of a French accent. <laughs> it appears that the Indochina affair must now be dealt with not so much on its actual merits, but even more so by taking account of the likely international impacts and consequences. Mm. Um, sounded like my Paul, St. Paul <laughs> accent, actually, except St. Paul's a little bit more Jewy than that, but... So Martin... Uh, it's down there in the throat. <laughs> so he's, he's basically saying, look, the Americans are staying hands-off at the moment, but... We better be seen to be, uh, you know, we better be seen to be trying to have some dialogue or be more successful in our attempts to have dialogue with the Indo-Chinese because we have to deal with this thinking about the optics, the international impacts of of how we conduct ourselves. Because it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I think the Americans being hands-off here is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, I agree with that because it's none of your fucking business. Stay out of it. Well, yes, you say that, but you mentioned within this last hour the Atlantic Charter. We all know it applies to white people, but but overall, and I don't want to give America too much credit, but overall, we're kind of like, you know, that whole colony thing, mm, yeah, that's yesterday's fashion. And so I think America, at the very least, is uncomfortable with what France is doing. They need France, and they need France to be strong to help Britain check uh, Russia. But I think they, they're still uncomfortable with the idea of colonies. Yeah, yeah, I'd give them that. But and look, they could come out and say, "Listen, no, no two ways about it. France, right. you need to fuck off. You know, get the fuck out. Um, leave these people alone. Let them have their independence. Um, Just trade with them. Yeah, if they want to be communists. Let yeah. them be communists. You know, yeah. n- none of our business, none of your business. Get the fuck out. Colonies are dead. It's two thousand and no, it's nineteen forty seven. So maybe, yeah, still. look, they could do that, but uh, yeah. but still, but they don't. All right. That's that's the show. Um, we'll be back. Everybody knows you never go full retard. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. 